Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am not Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. David, who am I? <laughs> you are uh, Battleship Retention Editor-at-Large, Scott Nye. Happy to be here. Um, we're happy to have you. We are... At the, uh, we're like like uh, Charles Foster Kane and, and his wife here <laughs> at opposite. And like this is a much bigger table than the one we do. That's very true. Uh, at, at Tyler's place, and um, you're usually next to me. You're like right there. I could punch you. Yeah, most yeah. Of the time, and but now, now yeah. there's no possibility of that. We are on the opposite. Um, I'm I'm happy I used the uh, Citizen Kane reference and not. Um, uh, Bruce, Bruce Wayne yeah. Ricky Vale, which is the second no. second tier reference uh, for the same joke. Yeah, let's set it up as a sad relationship and not a new exciting one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, Tyler is, of course, on he's on assignment, um, <laughs> and you are you are filling in, of course. Uh, how how have you been since the last time we had you on the show? Uh, I've been great. I recently returned from a two week trip to France. First time I've been in Europe, and it was fantabulous. Did a lot of good movie stuff. Saw Roman Polanski. And uh, you literally saw Roman I literally Polanski. saw Roman Polanski. He was there introducing Venus and Fur, but I went specifically because how often do you get to see Roman Polanski as an American? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if get to is the word <laughs> I, would, I would use. Have an opportunity. Right, right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can say you did it. So you say France, so you were more in more places than just Paris? Yeah, mostly Paris, but I went over to Nantes, which is near the Atlantic coast. Okay. But it's a port city. Okay. Um, where Jacques Demy is from, actually, the filmmaker. And did you, I chose it. Did you it, visit any, like, his boyhood home or anything like uh, that? Not that I could find, but they have, like, a museum named after him. Okay. And I saw some locations from Lola, and the city's very cool. It's a very cool laid-back town. I was really glad to spend some time there. Cool. Yeah. Now, um, in Paris, yes. did you go to Jim Morrison's grave? <laughs> no, I didn't know that was in Paris. <laughs> yeah, that's where that is. I, I wouldn't go. Was it? <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm glad the guy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I did go to a cemetery. It's possible I walked by it. I'm not really glad he's dead. Okay. I just <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> uh, so, uh, did you? So, uh, you were you were there for vacation? Yes. But you uh, you managed to squeeze in some movies because yeah. that's what movie people do on vacation. And it's Paris. Right? It's a movie town. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I saw. Yeah, they show all these old American movies. I saw Lever to Heaven there. I saw Some Came Running. I saw this great film noir called The Locket. Um, which blew me away. I, I heard nothing after Lever to Heaven because <laughs> I love that movie so much. And I'm imagining, so you saw like a 35 millimeter yeah. print of that. Was it in good shape? Did it yeah. look? It had French subtitles, but the print was great. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm jealous because I would love to, I've, I've seen that, I've seen that in like a small theater, but it was a, like a DVD project. It was pretty oh, DVD. Right. It wasn't yeah, this was a pretty small theater. And yeah, all these little theaters, are just, they open up like 10 minutes before the movie starts. There's just some old projections. They actually had one reel running backwards at one point, so it's a little rundown, <laughs> just frequented by old people, but it's a cool scene. Well, that's fantastic. So you recommend going to Paris? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd give it a thumbs up. I'm trying to remember what else. I'm trying to remember what I did uh, when I, I was in Paris when I was for how long? Seventeen. I was there for four days. Uh, that's the everyone I've talked to. I would be like, I'm going to Paris. Or I just came from Paris. Like, oh yeah, I was there for about three or four days, about ten years ago. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I was there for four days, fifteen years ago. Yeah, I was seventeen. If everyone can do the math and uh, <laughs> realizes I was actually, I'm actually thirty three now. So uh, anyway, because <laughs> the math would be thirty two, right. right? I'm looking at our uh, silent uh, guest <laughs> because he thinks I don't know how to do math. Um, he's not going to remain silent the whole time. Just to be clear. Uh, and what I did was drink a ton because I was 17 That's right. and allowed to. Yeah, very and, exciting. Yeah, so uh, I think uh, some 
some of the friends I was with, we literally drank like on the steps of the Bastille. Oh yeah, you got to get the whole like yeah <laughs> legendary Paris experience. Yeah, one of the guys I talked to said he only spent a night there and got blackout drunk near the Eiffel Tower and just screamed at street vendors. So now he's like, <laughs> now I owe my wife another trip to Paris. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's exciting. Um, I'm glad you made it back in one yes. piece. <laughs> Next to a very large Swedish man who didn't give me a moment's rest, but it was uh, because he was talking. Or just... no, he was very large and uh, very elbowy. Elbowy. Oh man. <laughs> um, how long was the flight? Uh, that one was 11 hours. I flew to London and then from London to here. Okay. Uh, that's that's enough. Talk about Europe. We don't want to alienate our audience. Of course. You know who? Uh, we don't want to see two. <laughs> We want to put, put on, on airs, airs. Yeah. Uh, Jinx, uh, you know. Um, anyway, I don't want you. Uh, I, I was. I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't come back. You know, with continental affectations, <laughs> sipping <laughs> tiny cups of uh, coffee, and yeah. Right. Right. Uh, now uh, let's uh, let's introduce our guest. Let's. Um, he's a, a friend of the show. He's been on before, and he was very happy to come in last he looks minute thrilled i gotta say <laughs> because i um i have to admit that until a couple days ago i forgot that i had to do this without tyler <laughs> and had to organize came this across in your message yes so uh very happy to have back um on on short notice and with a positive attitude and a great new haircut <laughs> terrence johnson uh, thank you <laughs> thank you for that it's good to be back uh well welcome back let's talk about the haircut yeah, <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. I'm a huge fan. Uh, what 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 went into this towering? Uh, uh, it's when I, I turned 26 this year, and I was like, it might be time for a new haircut. I've gotten the same style, and so I was like, let me do something kind of out there that my parents probably won't approve of, but they can't do anything <laughs> about because I no longer live at home. Uh, so it's like mohawky type yeah. situation. Um, and have your parents seen it yet? They have. <laughs> and I mean, they, I think they, they were nice about it. <laughs> they were very nice about it. So, yeah, I, uh, I had a Mohawk when I was 16 mm-hmm. that I, I told my parents, I was like, I'm going to go get a haircut after school. And they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I just want it shorter on the sides. That's like what I said. <laughs> I knew yeah. exactly what I was going to do. Uh, but I didn't want them to be able to stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I I came home with my hair cut in the way of a mohawk. But I have such thick hair that it was either do the thing with, like, the wood glue and, like, eggs or whatever, like, yeah. punk rockers do to get, like, Liberty Spikes. Or do what I ended up doing, which is essentially having, like, the... Um, the 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 Danzig like the Misfits you know what I'm yeah. talking about like pulling it down right. in front of my face mm-hmm. and that's mostly what I did and then I got uh, cast in a school play <laughs> that was a Chekhov one act that was supposed to take place <laughs> in like <laughs> late late 19th century uh, Russia and uh, I definitely had the wrong haircut for that but yeah. I managed to like part it down the middle and get it to like as much hair as I had just like you can just it on the sides yeah, yeah. 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 I looked like I, I feel like I looked like a some sort of like third-rate forgotten silent film star with like this little uh, yeah. uh, little hair on. I think the fact that your parents had to ask what you're going to do just by going to get a haircut means yeah. they were kind of braced for something. Yeah, they knew. They knew yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. lived with me for 16 years by yeah. that point. Uh, so, uh, Terrence, what have you seen recently? What, what, what movies are you into? What's on um, your radar? I recently saw Everest. So did I. With an IMAX 3D. Um, well, I saw it in 
whatever you call the IMAX at the AMC Century City, which is like That's, FOMAX. Yeah, or LIMAX is what it is. LIMAX, I like that better. Call it. Uh, yeah, I saw it at, at the AMC Century City yeah, with their, I saw it their at mini... The, at the Chinese. Um, okay. Grumman's Chinese Theater. Uh, and I... <laughs> for those non-Angelinos Yeah, for those people who are not from LA. Um, <laughs> I, I've been telling people, like, I don't know if it's a movie that you like so much as Endure. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, technically that movie was very impressive. I thought See, the acting was pretty good. Um, I, I feel like the way you just said that could mean two things. You could mm-hmm. mean endure the, like, the, the nonstop tension of mm-hmm. the mountain climbing and storm scenes or endure the tedium of the first half before any of that happens. I think it's a little <laughs> bit of both. I, For me, I didn't necessarily need all of the, oh, like this is who this person is and this is why you're going to be so sad when like half of these people don't make it. Or if they had done that better as opposed to like spending way too long painting the characters in way too broad of strokes. You know what I mean? And by the time you finally get someone to admit like why they want to climb the mountain, it's like the most tritely like inspirational, like to show kids that, and any you know yeah. any guy can do it's like uh, that stuff was boring yeah. to me but I'm a big fan of the director uh, mm-hmm. even when he makes bad movies like Contraband um, which is a bad movie yeah but I didn't know I, who he was going in and now I was like oh like you definitely stepped your game up <laughs> yeah but he made um, he made Two Guns which is a movie that I defend I thought that was a, mm-hmm. a lot of fun did you see Two Guns it's either okay. of you yeah I enjoyed it alright did you okay okay uh, I, I liked it I, I, I enjoyed it's um, go for broke over the top Yes, yeah. uh, which in contraband he like in the one shootout when they're in um, where are they supposed to be in Haiti? Is that where they like the movie takes place in New Orleans? But I like remember contraband better than anyone who actually <laughs> who saw yeah, the movie. I, I couldn't recall. There's one part where they go. go to either Haiti or the Dominican Republic, which are the same island, right? I can't remember. I don't know. They are. <laughs> I can't remember which one it is. And there's a massive, like ridiculously massive shootout. And that's mm-hmm. the one part of the movie that I liked because it's like he's just tossing the idea of, you know, verisimilitude out the window and just having fun with a crazy shootout. And Two Guns is kind of that for an hour and 40 minutes. I remember minutes. the action yeah. scenes in Two Guns being pretty tame, actually. There's like <laughs> that part where they're like dodging each other in a canyon that feels like it's like three feet wide and there's like a warehouse shootout. I remember uh, it being very small. Oh, Am well, I forgetting I, some scene? I, I think I just mean the... Um, maybe I'm talking more about the body count than the... Okay. Uh, uh, you know that it's 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 um, not it's it doesn't waste any time moralizing about like yeah. well it does not <laughs> about <do that>. human <laughs> life at all and uh, Bill Paxton is a blast in that movie yeah um, poking the uh, you know he pokes the thumbtacks through the stack of uh, index cards when he like is questioning Vaguely. the guy so he's like questioning the guy and like with this sort of folksy like avuncular like so what you know what did you learn and the whole time he's got this stack of index cards and he's poking thumbtacks through one end one end of them. Right, and you just think, oh, this is some weird thing he's doing to like kill times, you know, some business. And then when he's done, he like whacks it down on the guy's hand. Oh yeah, uh, and that's a nice bit of business right there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's not Everest. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking no. about Everest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was I probably the most stressed out I've been in a movie. I saw that in Sicario in one weekend, and so that's probably the most stressed out I've been in movie theaters. Yeah, I'm seeing both of those on Saturday together, so I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it's just you'll your soul will be like a little, a little less <laughs> when you every, get through the two. 
everything I've heard about Sicario, whether it be from people who liked it or didn't, mm-hmm. makes me not want to see it because it seems so grim, which is like kind of that director's thing. Yeah, it it is grim. Um, and in, it's like a... Yeah, it's just very grim. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say it without spoiling it. Um, okay. But it's it's an interesting sort of patchwork look at like... Um, sort of the drugs and their effect on these various departments, both here and in Mexico. Um, so it's an interesting look at that. Benicio del Toro is just fantastic. Um, and then the technical specs are really great. The cinematography, Roger Deakins right. is, I mean, he's great, but he like finds new ways to make you appreciate him in this. <laughs> and the sound design is pretty good. Cause it's like, it keeps you sort of in that level of dread for the whole movie, even when two characters are just talking in a room, which is great. I I feel like, did you, do you like it? Do you like enemy or prisoners? I loved enemy. Yeah. I loved enemy too. I was the only one. Loved enemy. Even though I wish somebody would have warned me about what happens at the very end because that (laughs) I, yeah, I jumped jumped on you. I was, I was ruined for the rest of the day. Um, (laughs) when that happened, but prisoners, I liked, but there are, there are some sort of fatal flaws in prisoners for me. Um, why Jake Gyllenhaal's character kept blinking so much, um, sort of how it wrapped up. My favorite joke that I cannot remember now who made this joke about yeah. Nightcrawler was that the reason that Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't blink in Nightcrawler is because he used up all his blinks <laughs> in Prisoners. Yeah, so he but does that. And so, like, that I think joke. I think that. Denny Villanueva is a talented filmmaker, and he definitely is that a, confirmed that pronunci- pronunciation. I have no. I've heard it pronounced so many different times. I've been going with Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Denny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Okay. That's what I've been going with, but I don't know. Who knows? We got. You should get him on the podcast <laughs> and ask him. I feel like all three. Of, oh, I haven't seen Sicario, but the two movies that I have seen mm-hmm. are are beautiful, and yeah, the sound design is great. I feel like he's a great like maybe he could be a a great short film director or a music video director or something I, I i feel like when it comes to fleshing out full stories with themes he kind of has a bag of tricks that i think seems weightier than it is yeah. because it's depressing <laughs> you know yeah, no, i understand uh but i i i found like I, I just found that prisoners is like it's like two and a half hours long yes and it's punishing and it's not worth it at the end. Like, I don't feel like I saw something that was worth and, you know, enduring mm-hmm. all that. I didn't find I it that punishing. I just thought it was kind of pulpy fun, actually. <laughs> like rather well, enjoyed myself. And we have it. different ideas <laughs> yeah. apparently. Cause yeah, I, I, I was very depressed by it. I like the part with the snakes. Yeah. I've said that on this podcast before the part with the snakes is, uh, worth it. <laughs> uh, see how seriously you can take a movie with that scene. Big boxes of snakes. Well, I guess that's is, is that when he visited that guy, that, like weird, creepy guy who's in the Dark Knight series in Prisoners? Oh, where, um, where Detective Loki comes in, or is that a different scene? It's a different scene because there's no one in the house when he has the snakes. It's when yeah. it's when he goes into the house and there's all those like lockers, okay, right? Yeah. yeah, and he's opening the lockers and they're all full of snakes, mm-hmm. and all the snakes come out. But I know who you're talking about. Um, who's the guy? I can't remember his name. Yeah, I'll, I'll his, his last name is something like Dalmatian, but it's not Dalmatian. <laughs> it's something like that. Uh, all right. So you saw Everest, you saw Sicario. Mm-hmm. 
I know there's something else on your mind that we're going to get to in a second. Yes. The thing uh, that you wanted to talk about uh, for this episode. But first, I want to tell uh, I want to tell you about um, <laughs> I want to tell you about our sponsor, <laughs> which I had the wrong email up. Um, wow, uh, this is not working out for me. Here we go. This episode of Battleship Pretension, as of uh, as all recent episodes of Battleship, Battleship Pretension have been, is sponsored by Mubi. I'm doing it the Tyler way. Sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch online. Uh, this week, I want to tell you about what they're highlighting is uh, the New York Film Festival takeover uh, of movie of, of, of movie. So the New York Film Festival's projection selection presents an international selection of film and video work that expands upon our notions of what the moving image image can do and be. Drawing on a broad range of innovative modes and techniques, including experimental narratives, avant-garde poetics, crossovers into documentary and ethnographic realms, and contemporary art practices, Projections brings together a diverse offering of short, medium, and feature-length work by some of today's most vital and groundbreaking filmmakers and artists. So some of these uh, films are uh, Letters to Max, Sea of Vapors, Blanket Statement Number 2, It's All or Nothing. That's, uh, that's all one. Uh, the Measures, Night Noon, uh, Detour de Force. That's a little portmanteau. Uh, Ming of Harlem, 21 Stories in the Air. Uh, those are all um, uh, available in movie as part of their, their uh, uh, New York Film Festival takeover, uh, as it were. Um, and there's also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now so that's uh that's Mubi. uh one of our other sponsors i want to tell you about we're just going to knock these out right here one of the sponsors is uh, tweakedaudio.com that's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors they're very stylish they're very colorful i have a i have, I have a yellow pair that i like to to rock uh they sound fantastic and they're available for a low low price but if you want if you want to, so it's a low low price if you want a low 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 price right Watch out. Then um, at <laughs> checkout, you use offer code pretension, uh, and that'll get you one third off and no shipping charges. So it's tweakedaudio.com, offer code pretension. All right. So let's get into it, shall we? Absolutely. Sure. What's annoying you? <laughs> Terrence, <laughs> something is annoying you. You Matt said da- Matt Damon oh. is annoying me. Now, uh, it. it, it is it? Is, I like it. There's a variety of things we could be talking about at this point. Uh, is it the most recent thing that is annoying you? It is, yes, perhaps the most recent thing. And by most recent, we don't mean The Martian, which I hear is very good. I, I, skept, I am skeptical because I have grown skeptical over Ridley Scott. But yes, so uh, I. I do hear that it's very good, and that's why I'm excited I've to see uh, it. I've been burned too much by Ridley Scott. Yeah. Talking about Prometheus. Um, <laughs> But no, Matt Damon sort of comments. Well, I mean, he's doing Project Greenlight right now. Yeah. Um, and so he got into sort of an argument with producer Effie Brown, um, who's produced like 10 or 11 features, and she's on the show to help this guy that they picked. Um, both of them are actually alums of the school that I 
am currently in grad school for Loyola Marymount, which is kind of weird. Uh, but they got into like sort of an argument about diversity. And Matt Damon was trying to explain to her sort of what diversity is and what it means. Um, and it's like, well, you're explaining this to like a black woman. That's kind of weird. Um, and then he blamed it on the editing. He was kind of like, oh, like it's edited to right. look worse. And I was like, but aren't you over the show? <laughs> like you, like you, <laughs> if anyone can dictate the edit. Yeah, you, can, you yeah. can dictate the edit. But I think the bigger issue that sort of where it was this comment sort of about um, LGBT actors and um, sort of having to hide sexuality, uh, saying that like that's one aspect of, like when you know too much about an actor, um, that it tends to affect your view of them on screen. And he was like, so you should... You shouldn't be flaunting like your sexuality and da 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 da. Um, he then went on Ellen and he was like, oh no, all I was trying to say was that, you know, actors should be mysterious and we shouldn't really know too much about their personal lives. And it just like everything that he has said has rubbed me the wrong way. Although today he definitely was like, I realized that I sounded like an asshole, which I was like, yeah, you did. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> you least, did. Yeah. Um, he didn't keep, he didn't like keep digging the whole yeah, release. Because I think. Like, sort of on the surface of it, uh, he, like, I get what he was trying to say, because, like, as I was thinking about it on the drive over here, I thought about somebody like Tom Cruise, who, who's sort of, who, not sort of, whose perception was extremely hurt by, like, Scientology mm. and by like his breakup with Nicole Kidman and his marriage to Katie Holmes and just all of that sort of like started that's what started tanking uh, sort of his box office appeal um, and thinking about people who go I mean I still enjoy Tom Cruise as an actor um, and I love his movies but going in you're definitely it's not it's, it's a little different like your relationship your sort of relationship as an audience member with an actor who's on screen um is a little different when you know too much about their personal life. Um, but at the same time, it could then not matter. Cause I think about like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie uh-huh. and neither of them are ineffective. Um, <laughs> when on screen, even though I know that everything that went down between them and Jen Aniston is perfectly fine. And Justin Thoreau is thriving. And so it was like, <laughs> it's, it's like weird, but what the, what sort of like rang really, really strange with me was that he was sort of coming from a place of like, Oh, like don't flaunt your sexuality. And it's like, you know, we know that he's a straight man because we see his wife and his kids all the time. And we know that he has a best friend named Ben Affleck and that he may, well, I don't know if he's married anymore um, to Jennifer Garner, but like recently he was just talking about their relationship with Jennifer Lopez. And I was like, that's so weird to then say that like, Oh, like, like a gay actor should not flaunt their sexuality when like, what if they were just doing the same things that he was? Did he actually use the word flaunt? I don't think flaunt. It was sort of, he's sort of talking about like remain mysterious and don't I'm, I'm paraphrasing saying flaunt. Um, but like what, what does flaunt, or like, what does that mean? Like keeping that mystery about like your personal life. If like just the way that the news covers anybody in sort of the media that's gay is that like they could just be taking their significant other to a red carpet event 
And like the story is going to be like, oh, so it's like when Matt Bomer, like when we finally found out who his husband was, it was like you couldn't go anywhere on like an entertainment blog for two weeks without being like, oh, here's a picture of him and Simon <laughs> Halls and they're over here. And now look, they're at the beach with the kids. And so it's like, but Matt Bomer isn't necessarily being like, oh, yeah, my husband is so great. And right. we do all of these crazy things in bed and like <laughs> come see Magic Mike. Like, <laughs> like nobody is doing that. And so it was just weird and sort of I think the thing that Matt Damon didn't necessarily realize is that because he's sort of the standard so like straight white man in Hollywood that like he will be accepted sort of just on like a base level like that his sort of approach to celebrity is like the standard and so if it's if something is off about anything in that situation um, then it's you're not being mysterious like enough which is weird to me yeah I think um, and I think you're getting at this and correct me if I'm wrong but it seems like some of what Matt Damon was saying is kind of true that it does alter the public's perception mm-hmm. and the way that it's covered but what I objected to is the fact like his prescriptive attitude was to put it on the actor and not like on yeah. the media and how they approach it you know there's a different way around the situation it's not like actors having to hide themselves or that's just because that's a better way of saying what i was trying to come up with yeah (laughs) right now yeah because it doesn't bother i don't think about these things at all and i imagine there are other viewers who don't but clearly there are a lot of viewers who do and you mentioned tom cruise especially like there's so many examples and rupert everett who matt damon mentioned the interview has said that his career definitely went downhill after he came out and so I'm sure Matt he's Davis, also a terrible person, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. Um, yeah, I'm sure Matt Damon has seen these kind of stories happen again and again. And mm-hmm. this was probably his idea of trying to help. But he just went about it the wrong way. Yeah. And I, you make a great point is that uh, I think what 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 Matt Damon is talking about as uh, again, we don't know if he used the word flaunting, yeah. but, you know, being obvious or whatever. Yeah. Really, what that is, what that is in the long run is normalizing, and I think right. that could actually be that should be getting us to where we are, where it where it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if it's like if uh, I'm trying to think of an example, Elizabeth Moss does a New Zealand accent, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. We know she's not from New Zealand. Yes, we get over the fact that the accent has a couple holes in it. <laughs> uh, if anyone watched Top of the Lake, if I'm the only one who watched it, uh, I could have, I could should have come up with a better, uh, better example. Um, I think you're you're hitting on a good point, though. Yeah, like we get over it in a second, you know. Like when I saw Wild last year, well, I love that movie, and I wasn't thinking about Reese Witherspoon yelling at that cop and saying, "Do you know who I am?" <laughs> which is the funniest thing in the world to me. <laughs> and I, it makes some people think less of Reese Witherspoon. I kind of think more of her um, for drunkenly yelling at a cop. Like, good for you, uh, Reese Witherspoon. She's got this, like, type A right, uh, yeah. persona. That's the name of her production company, right? Uh, type so. A. Um, and the idea of her just being, like, this <laughs> southern hick yelling at cop, yeah. drunk and yelling at cops <laughs> actually endeared her quite a bit to me. But I didn't, I didn't think, like, you get, you get five minutes into a movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And as the audience... I, I, for me, I, I I get over it. I feel like yeah. with with a thing like Rupert Everett, hey, we're talking about how long ago did he come out? Twenty years? Yes, uh, something like that. Not, yeah, nearly. So, a we're talking about twenty years ago, um, and b I feel like we're talking more about um, uh, people hiring him as opposed to the audience. 
Right, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think Rupert Everett stopped getting roles because people in focus groups were saying, I can't watch this gay guy in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Uh, it was people not... Uh, uh, Assuming not that that's what they would think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and uh, I, I don't know um, if the Tom Cruise thing is, uh, is different because that is... I think it... I don't want to, because I want people to be able to be themselves, but if anyone's going to use the word flaunt, like <laughs> what Tom Cruise did yes. to, to, to alienate people, um, uh, was, I was trying to come up with an alien Xenu, uh, pun there. I couldn't come up with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was flaunting. Yes. Uh, it didn't bother me. I, I didn't stop liking Tom Cruise, but I, 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 I I'm, I, I'm, I'm a rare sort in that I don't give a shit at all. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of where I am. It's just like, okay. <laughs> Makes uh, movies. <laughs> I will say that Tom Cruise's sort of crazy personality is what made. There's a particular scene in Edge of Tomorrow where he's talking. Um, he's with Emily Blunt. And I don't know what Brendan Gleeson. I think is the guy playing that part. Uh-huh. And he starts laughing, and it's like this crazy <laughs> deranged. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is crazy deranged laughing, but it, it is so great because you're like Tom Cruise might actually be crazy. So it kind of <laughs> it like elevated the scene because I was like, oh, maybe he's like poking fun at himself here. Um, and so that was like a rare instance of where Tom Cruise's sort of personality and like background really led into the performance, and I was able to appreciate that moment a lot more because of the fact that he jumped on like somebody's couch. And, <laughs> But um, by that point in the movie, commercial. aren't you just watching the character, like, in a way? Yeah. I, I, You're always kind of watching Tom Cruise, though. Yeah. I mean, I love Tom Cruise. Very good actor. But he's always Tom Cruise, and that's great. So you're always kind of watching him. I, 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 I don't know. I, uh, I feel like I, try, I, I disappear into movies a little more than that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm generally not thinking about that sort of stuff. But, again... Uh, well, I think that's I, what my, Matt is trying to... Was I think that's what he was trying to get at is that like sort of the more you know about an actor like the longer it might take you to get into it or you might not believe them as a, as a certain type of character and I was like that's that's really on like each audience member going in because like at Brad Pitt and Moneyball is like a perfect example um, like I, I have no problem with going into a movie and being like that's insert actor here playing this part like Brad Pitt is he's Billy Bean but he looks exactly like Brad Pitt um in the movie but he's so good Uh in the acting and he's got that character down pat that it doesn't matter um so like the concept of like the audience sort of bringing in like these preconceived notions um can be easily erased depending on how good the movie is. Yeah, that's that, that's true. Um, and it does depend on the actor. I and mean, Brad Pitt's a guy who really plays on his star persona. Yeah. Matt Damon seems like he tries to disappear a little bit more into roles, you know. He does, like, Talented Mr. Ripley or... Um, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. But I'm trying to think of more recent... Oh, uh, True Grit. That's kind of a yeah, I liked very that. different kind of Matt Damon. What about The Informant? Yes, the, absolutely. The you informant. have to say it like that. Of course. Does, <laughs> does it have an exclamation mark in the title? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know who I the one actor that I uh, there's a couple actually uh, of actors that I can't lose like I can't see them disappear in the mm-hmm. role uh, one of them has always been Jonathan Reese Myers for me <laughs> for some reason mm-hmm. I've never been a fan of him uh, partially because of that I just see him being the same in all his roles and then recently by recent years I mean I guess like the past six or seven years Robert Downey Jr. I feel like he's mm-hmm. I feel like he's as an 
as an actor, he stopped trying. Trying. He stopped like challenging himself. Yeah. He sort of found like an on-screen persona that works, mm-hmm. and he just uses it whether it's whether he's playing Tony Stark or he's playing you know, the judge, uh, or, yeah. um, that small part in chef, like he's just doing the same thing. Yeah. yeah Cause even in the judge where he's clearly trying to do a serious thing, he's not abandoning that persona at all. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I mean, I like his persona. I like his performances generally, but you're not over it yet. No, not really. I'm a little um, bit over it. I think, I think I am <laughs> a little, uh, just I'm a, a little bit over Tony Stark. I'll say that. Well, I think I, uh, it's be- almost partially because of like, um, things like Comic-Con and him, like actual Robert Downey Jr. on panels ah. like the idea of him like there not being a line between Tony Stark right. and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. anymore like that that uh, keeps me from keeps the lines uh, uh, blurred I guess um, keeps yeah. me and like the thing is is like like it, his sort of personality informs the character, but like that's not stopping him. Well, maybe for you, it's stopping him from being an effective actor. <laughs> but to audiences, like they don't mind that, and so it was just so weird for Matt Damon to like yeah. highlight it because he's highlighting a particular group, and it's just like, well, like what what should they do? Like, are they not supposed to bring like their their partner on the red carpet? Like, right, are right. we? never supposed to know like because that's i can't imagine that being good for the actor to <laughs> to keep to like not necessarily deny part of themselves but just like not be able to do the things that like matt dame somebody in matt damon's position could um and i mean matt bomer is sort of like the perfect example of that like i don't think he's any less desirable to women because they know that he has a husband and kids right um and he's still effective as playing that the weird energy guy <laughs> in Magic Mike. And he was good on White Collar. And that's sort of, he, I mean, he came out, I think, in the middle of that run. And like everybody was like, okay. So what's Neil Caffrey up to like this week? Um, and so like in, I think what bothered me more is because Matt Damon is like this big superstar. Uh-huh. Um, and you you sort of want your favorites to I've been talking I've been saying this week that I have to like pray about all of my favorite actors and actresses that they won't say anything stupid um, <laughs> because I don't I don't want to have a problematic fave uh, but like like going in so he was talking about sort of keeping a mystery so like going into the Martian like I'll be able to like disappear into his character but the first thing I'm gonna think about when I see him on screen is what he said yeah and so like in a way sort of his comments about other people's personal lives are coming back to him. Oh yeah. And reflecting That's a on good him. Point. Yeah. Like how um, there's not a single mirror in Cotier movie where I don't remember at some point that she thinks nine 11 was an inside job. <laughs> Yeah, oh, no, did you hear about that? <laughs> I did not, but yeah, there goes another favorite just down the drain. <laughs> yeah. This was years ago too. This was yeah. like 2008. Well, she just said that, I think she said something about feminism. Oh yeah. Not liking it. Oh, okay. like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm I got I'm having a a prayer circle tomorrow for like Brad and Angelina. If they said something <laughs> stupid, I would be crushed. Uh, they are very on point. I would be surprised. Yeah, I'd be like, I know you have a movie coming out, but you don't <laughs> need this kind of publicity. <laughs> um, the other thing I I'm trying to avoid using the word problematic because you already used it, <laughs> and because it's become such like, a buzzword. Like yeah. Jo- yeah, yeah, I'm using uh, it in like a a semi joking sense. Right. Um, the other thing about what Matt Damon said is that it's such a, like, uh, it's like a, a, 
a time-stamped like opinion that has so so much to do with how things are now right. or in the last mm-hmm. recent years. Like, it's easy to take his um, his uh, to, to extrapolate his point of view about mystery or you know people not knowing and uh, apply that in the past to someone hiding the fact that they're Jewish or if yeah. they're uh, a race if they can pass for white that they should because then people don't know mm-hmm. like it's easy to say like it, it, I, I don't think I think Matt Damon if he were here would object and say that's yeah. not what I meant but if you take the way that it came out right. you can apply yeah. that to at different time periods uh, d- uh, any any all sorts of things that would be insane to say now mm-hmm. and so it's it's exactly the kind of statement um, that is most likely going to sound completely absurd in, an, I mean, it, yeah. it already got like a big reaction now, but when you look in 20 years, it's going to make him sound like, uh, like governor Walt Wallace or something <laughs> like a total, <laughs> total lunatic. All those uh, people 20 years from now who are trolling through old interviews yeah. uh, looking well, for problematic phrases. Well, that, I mean, that they probably will. And like now, like, uh, and it seems like anyone who tweeted anything ever, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Actually, that's an interesting point uh, to me, like the Trevor Noah thing and the idea of him making a lot of shitty jokes on oh, Twitter. Yeah. Uh-huh. But also, like, years ago, like, is there some, like... Because I, I always want to give people the, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, and, and I always want to uh, always want to believe the best. And so my thing is, like, well, that was years ago. And there's another um, yeah, thing those... that's just come out recently, but it's a little less high profile. But there's this band, Deaf Heaven. I don't know if you know. No. Uh, no. They're, like, in indie, like... They're often dismissed as uh, hipster metal, but um, I like them a lot. But someone went through one of the band members' old tweets and went back a few years to where he was using the F word a lot, mm-hmm. not fuck, the other yes. one <laughs> a lot. And he hasn't since then. But uh, what do you guys think of that? Like, is it, is it, should we believe that people have changed or should we hold people accountable for everything they ever said? Because I, I don't know that I, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, no, I think, I think that you can, like, there, there is sort of, the internet is an interesting thing because nothing is ever deleted. Um, right. Something can always be pulled up. And so like, I do think you should give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I think Matt Damon is sort of realizing that he stepped in it. Um, and at least today, uh, when we're recording this mentioned that he said he feels like an asshole. Um, but like, because I think, and then to sort of go off of that, like you could look through some of my tweets like last week (laughs) 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 and point out stuff to me that is a a mess and problematic Um, whether it was said in a joking manner or not um, that doesn't accurately reflect my views on life and stuff Uh, so I I mean I think there should be some some leeway but I, I think when if you're ever called on it like you should always be ready to apologize if it offends anybody yeah I think if anyone carries and notices that years later and really feels that it's still relevant and pertinent and they if they're in a position to talk to the person then they should you know bring it up and do you still feel feel this way or you know yeah uh and that uh yeah i I like that we're sticking with matt damon because i have something else uh, another uh angle on this i guess is that the today just coming out and saying yeah i feel like an asshole or act mm-hmm. like an asshole uh versus trying to clarify like mm-hmm. I, I i guess you never know which one's the right 
decision until after the fact. Because yeah. if he hadn't clarified his statement and everyone went like, oh, that makes right. sense. Like, then <laughs> yeah. it would be okay. But he clarified and made it worse. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, but also, like, uh, so I, I really respect the humility of people who, when they are called on something, are able to say. Yeah. Like, um, when there was that thing with... Um, textbook example here is uh chris evans and, and jeremy renner uh joking about uh referring to uh, black widow I, as a i still slut can't believe that, that anybody was actually offended by that but <laughs> it was more like the reaction like chris evans was like you're right i'm sorry like right. immediately yeah. and jeremy renner like sort of doubled down like tried to explain yeah. it in a way that made him sound worse but uh, and so i i like i respect the humility and self-awareness of chris evans in that situation but also you don't want to get to uh, a, a, a cultural climate where mm. everyone, as soon as they're called out on anything, just kowtows and says, "You're right. I'm sorry." Because if they that do, that kind of feels a point, like where we're at, though. Uh, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, I don't, I don't yeah. want it to get to that. I want yeah. people to, I want people to apologize if they really believe that they were wrong. Yeah. All these apologies feel very formulaic to me, and I just expect it anytime an actor steps in it. Yeah. Well, like the thing with Matt Damon was he he gave the initial comments and then he doubled down on Ellen, which I was right. like, that is the wrong place <laughs> <laughs> for you to do that. Like, and how, Ellen, did, how did she handle it? Ellen, she is so good at giving people like the rope to hang themselves uh-huh. um, in terms of comments. I'm trying to remember. She, she had another interview with somebody. Uh, I think it was with, with Caitlyn Jenner and Caitlyn Jenner was at that point was like, yeah, I don't know if I still, if I believe in like gay marriage and I was like, well, you just like, you're a part of the LGBT community, <laughs> like the T like that's you. Right. And so to, to say that uh, is ridiculous. And then Ellen went on Howard Stern and was like, yeah, that was kind of silly and stupid. Um, and so like you have those issues and then Caitlin of course came out and was like, yeah, I'm pro gay marriage. And I was just like, I don't, I don't believe you, but it's okay. Uh, so, but I think, you know, I, I definitely appreciate people who can, who when they're sort of called out on like being wrong and they're actually feel contrite, like apologizing right. right away. I think rather than doubling down, staying silent might be better if you know that you're wrong and you're just like, Oh, right. but I just want to clarify, like maybe you just, just keep the clarification. Right. Right. Like just keep it. Um, I feel like that's unless I miss something cause I don't read as yeah. much uh, of this stuff as you do, but that's kind of what Trevor Noah did. Right. He like sort of let it, let it burn yeah. out. Well, the, and the you know thing what? with Trevor Noah is that those jokes were just terrible. Um, <laughs> they weren't funny. Yeah. They just weren't funny. <laughs> and so that's like, if they were funny, I don't think he would have gotten nearly the blowback that it, that it got. Um, but I mean, now he has the daily show and he's fine. Yeah. yeah and people seem to like it. I haven't watched yeah, it, but I haven't seen any of it. And then, yeah, so he, so he never came out and said, you're right, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And yet the same people are now watching his show and liking mm-hmm. it. So I guess he did it right. Yeah. <laughs> he just wrote Got it the out. job first. <laughs> but Jeremy yeah. Renner, oh, yeah, remembering that was less than a... But see, the, and that's the thing. So getting back to, like, Matt Damon's statement about, like, like being mysterious and us not knowing a lot about your personality, like, I definitely think, like, Renner's handling of that situation is, like, I'm definitely like, oh, like Jeremy Renner is that kind of guy. <laughs> and so now when I go watch a movie, I'm going to be like, okay, Jeremy Renner is sort of that. Like, not that he's terrible, but just that I'll make a judgment on this character based off of off of that. Uh, so you, you want to... I'd be like, Hawkeye isn't a family man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he did, He's that, not. That guy should have let Hawkeye get shot. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't know how... Like, it's going to get me mad about Age of Ultron, about how Quicksilver is supposedly faster than a bullet and he could not dodge. 
any of those bullets. Didn't he run into the bullets? Am I remembering? Well, he pushed them out of the. He pushed all of them out of the way, but he was like riddled with bullets. Oh right, okay. Yeah, it seems like. Well, maybe he didn't want to push people too fast. Maybe they can't handle it. Mm. Yeah, that's what I always uh, (laughs) think about in that kind of stuff. Like when I'm watching The Flash, like um, there's an episode where uh, he's driving around with. uh, Jesse L. Martin, do you guys watch the Flash? Yeah, I watch every episode. And uh, I don't, but I was told I need to. And like the like, there's like a story. They like they're driving through the rain, and then it pulls out, and you realize the rain is just around them because there's like a weather oh, controlling yeah, yeah. bad guy. And then he like throws a lightning bolt toward the car, and the Flash like busts up the side of the car with Jesse L. Martin to the side of the road, and. So they they get out before right. the lightning mm-hmm. strikes. My first thought is like, wouldn't Jesse L. Martin's like spine be broken? <laughs> <laughs> like, he just went yeah. like faster than a bullet through a car door. I think the comic book explanation was that the Flash could like put an energy shield around whoever he was carrying, right? And that's how they could run fast with people. Uh, yeah, that seems. Effective. I used to read a lot of comics as a kid, so I have some Flash facts st- stashed away. Oh, I'm, I'm glad facts. you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we we cleared that up because much like. Uh, Terrence with Jeremy Renner, I would not have been able to ever get that out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Jeremy Renner gives us another good performance and it'll, I won't care anymore. <laughs> what else? I don't know. I'm in like TV mode, but in like weird TV mode where I'm actually using my DVR because I'm so busy that I can't like watch everything same day, which is like really interesting because then I can't go on Twitter I have to avoid the spoilers yeah um but like are you watching Scream Queens I watched the two hour premiere and I'm done because I hated it (laughs) (laughs) I saw the first hour at Comic Con um and and I thought that that was sort of it and I was like oh like this character died like they're not coming back and then the news about like oh everybody's nobody you that got killed could stay dead forever and I was just like no yes why does he like Weren't there enough complaints uh, uh, about American Horror Story Coven about the fact that no one stayed dead yeah. on that? Didn't that sink in? Until but nothing, the very, very end. Nothing sinks in with Ryan Murphy. And that's the thing that I said on the, on the uh, I think I said it on this show, but I, I said it on my TV podcast or another TV podcast I was a guest on. I'm on a lot of podcasts is the thing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what I said is that, like, it's not that Scream Queens is any worse than other Ryan Murphy stuff. It's just that he we've seen it all uh, to me mm-hmm. to me it's to be like i know all of ryan murphy's tricks uh like the back of my hand um and uh, i i passed the expiration date on that yeah uh and and so it's like yeah he hasn't learned from people's complaints about coven because he has he is unable to grow i think as a storyteller yeah my roommate and i are watching it because i think i think we sort of made a pact to stick it out through the season so that we can talk about it on a, on a podcast that we do later um but I, it's going to be a struggle <laughs> to get through this. Because, like, there, there are parts that are, I mean, Ryan Murphy, like, for all of his issues, like, there are, he does do some things right. And it's like there are parts that are really, really funny. Um, but then, like, you have to wade through. It's what, it's what you have to wade through to get yeah. to those parts. That's is, tough. Is the funny stuff ever because of the writing or is it because Niecy Nash is really funny and makes it funny? I actually hate her character. So <laughs> it actually, I felt bad as soon as I, it's not yeah. the best example. Um, I just wonder if there are any black people in the writer room. Um, well, there's not because there's literally three writers on the show. Yeah. Right? It's Ian Brennan Bradford. Oh, Chuck, so the, all three of them 
Right. It, yeah, it's like the um, okay, which is what like well, then, yeah, uh, everything was for the, for first, the first three seasons. Three seasons, yeah. it was just the three of them. And oh that's what well, doing then here. It's just everything three. makes so much sense now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I like I'm I'm enjoying it in like a weird in a weird way. It's it's kind of it still is kind of fun to, to see all of these like people that you know dying on that show. Um, Can I to, in humorous ways to get back to our close to our topic, which mm-hmm. is like social justice warrior the social justice warrior hour yeah. um how do you feel about like ryan murphy's uh uh shows and how they deal with either race or religion or mm-hmm. uh you know differently abled people or all sorts of things or or uh sexuality and all this stuff like i feel like he hides behind this like well i'm being ironic type mm-hmm. of thing that only oh, yeah. goes so far it's like the reason that like as much as i love sarah silverman as a person and as an actress like i kind of got over her act a while ago because uh it's i i don't I, I being ironic only covers for so yeah. much and i think Alyssa rosenberg from the washington post did a really good article about this talking about how ryan murphy thinks of himself as a satirist but he's actually not um saying that like what he is is he's just trying to be like a good storyteller so like for example um the emma roberts character um I, I can't remember what her name is on Scream Queens, but like she's it's so. Chanel. Uh, is it Chanel? Yeah, like yeah. she's so awful. <laughs> she's a terrible person inside and out. She's racist and homophobic and like able to, like whatever, any kind of ist that yeah. a person could possibly be, she is. And then like you get a scene in the pilot where she's talking about like, oh, like I have a boyfriend who cheats on me all the time and like my parents were spending or didn't call me on my birthday because I had thrown a fundraiser for Jeb Bush, um, which is Jeb Bush is somebody Ryan Murphy likes to go back to a lot. He did it at the end of Glee. Yeah. Um, but it's like, that's not Are sort we of the only three people who watched all six seasons of Glee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we did? oh, I feel like I'm amongst friends. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that show, even though it got to be, a, it was terrible um, near the end. But like, like that's not like her saying those terrible things is not like satire because we're not like, Oh, like it's not really making fun of anything. It's just like, he's thinking that he's being funny by having these characters say these awful things. And I'm like, that's not a, I mean, it can work, but like, that's not satire to me when you just have characters that are just like racist. Right. There's nothing. I like, I don't like, what's the set? Like, what are you satirizing? Like how, awful racists are like okay <laughs> we get it but like we we know that already going in so like he, he never reaches sort of that next level he can be very he can be very over the top in everything that he does um like i applaud him for sort of like trying to diversify i mean i think some of the strongest stuff in glee was when he sort of had kurt and kurt's coming out story and his mm-hmm. father and and becky having a yeah. down syndrome being like a really interesting character um, but then like, and even as much as I love Santana on that show, like she, there were some times where I was just like, okay, like we, we get what you're trying to go for with this character. Um, it's not satire anymore. It's just like you trying to be funny and it's not, it's almost like the other side of the coin of like the nineties crime film Tarantino thing where the characters would just be really racist to add like a layer of like grit, that's, I guess, or something to yeah, it. That's still Tarantino. Uh, I, I I don't know. Uh, I, as the straight white male, I represent the privileged <laughs> point of view, so I could be wrong. Yeah. But I feel like in something like Django, he used racist characters 
toward a purpose yeah. as opposed to putting himself in Pulp Fiction so he could say the N-word 18 times. Yeah. Uh, do you agree? Did you yeah. like Django better than... And I, I've, I've read some of... Somehow, some way, a script of uh, the ne- the Hateful Eight right, yeah. made well, its way into my possession. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people got to do that. I, I, yeah, I, I, I personally did not acquire it. I will say that now. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened to get into my hands one day. Um, it appeared like the U2 album. Yeah. It was, <laughs> no, it kinda, honestly, it was kind of like that. I showed up and I was like, oh, like somebody was like, I have the script. Um, and he's, I think he's trying to do some of the same stuff in that one. I think the Tarantino comparison is apt, though, because like with Ryan Murphy, he's both using it to a point and kind of getting off on it yeah. in a really base yeah. way. And that's actually when it, Glee was good to me. It would kind of mix really heartfelt, honest stuff. Like you said, Kurt's coming out story, I think, worked astonishingly well for a show that could never maintain any storyline over a season. Yeah, <laughs> that's that storyline went on for many episodes and yeah. stayed consistent. and It was good. Um but then it would just get really ugly and nasty and not in a way that was like pointed or mm-hmm. satirical. It was just ugly. But I yeah. kind of liked that because it felt human in a way, even if it was uncomfortable at times, it mm-hmm. still, you could tell that it was just written by a couple of guys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Tarantino's thing has, uh, I still like Pulp Fiction, but, uh, Reservoir Dogs is hard for me to watch because of one scene where that's um, uh, Chris Penn and Michael Madsen and uh, Lawrence Tierney, just the three of them in, uh, is it Lawrence Tierney? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in his office. Oh, yeah. And, he, and Chris Penn is ribbing, uh, I'm forgetting all the characters' names, but ribbing uh, uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Madsen, Madsen. Uh, about the idea that he might have gotten fucked by black guys in prison. And right. it goes on yeah. for like, more than five minutes I feel yeah. like and it sours the whole movie for me because it's like th- there's no point like these are our characters I know like yeah. they're not all supposed to be good guys but it's like what like this seems beyond any like this seems like you want us to hate them yeah. uh, which isn't the point uh, I, I don't know if uh, anyone else has had are, are there any movies like that for you that you know are good but are ruined for you by certain uh, socially objectionable uh, elements um. Gone with the Wind is one I normally point to. Um, like, I love that movie. Whole, it might be my favorite movie of all time. Um, but you get to certain parts and you're just like, you just cover your eyes. And you're like, okay, I just have to get through this terrible stretch. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like, might have been acceptable back then and it's really not acceptable now. Um, I, I think do I get you think, it. Well, sorry, I don't want to yeah, go away from no, Gone fine. with the Wind, but do you think, because uh, you brought up the idea of privilege. Yeah. Um, Tyler's going to hate listening to this episode and that, he, that he can't weigh in on this. Yeah. Um, but do you think it's that idea of, uh, oh, that was just the time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's easier for someone like, say, me to, uh, to accept, to watch that movie and be like, well, you know, it was made a long time ago? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think it's, it's all about going into, like, going into whatever with the context. Um, so, like, and for some people... Like they won't watch Gone with the Wind or they think it's bad because of its sort of racial politics. I think that it's like a feat of movie making. Um, I can't think of any movie like Titanic is sort of on that scale of like just epicness and production ran on forever. And Uh like it's a blockbuster. And they, I mean, they had like seven directors on Gone with the Wind. Um, Yeah. 
which is crazy when you think about the fact that they fired like six people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of them being George Cukor. C- yeah, Cooper, yeah. a guy I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Also uh, fired from The Wizard of Oz, which, <laughs> which is Victor, ultimately credited Victor Fleming. Yeah, yeah. he did both. Um, <laughs> and so, like, it's... So I, I'm totally... Like, un- I understand when people go into a movie um, and they're like, you know, I don't... I don't, Or I, like, they just don't want to see it because it might... That We had that sort of a straight out of Compton this year. Um, I know a couple of women uh, who did not necessarily care for large portions of the movie because we're dealing with Dr. Dre and his character is like a saint. <laughs> and it's like he he's had many a problem um, with yeah. putting his hands on people who are not like himself. <laughs> so <laughs> um, particularly a news reporter um, and sort of like they, they yeah. just gloss over that whole thing. And so you go into that movie and it's like that 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 has that can't be easy to swallow if you're like a woman going in to like see and you're like wait what like where this is not really the guy like he he just we're sort of erasing like part of this character's past to make him seem good um and so like i'm i'm all for like directors and writers having the freedom to make their characters as good or as awful as they want to be like i have no problem watching a movie full of terrible people um so um you you did see Straight Outta Compton? I did. Yeah, I saw it too, and I liked it quite I a bit, I loved actually. it, yeah. So, do you think, um, when you have, th- this always comes up, I think, whenever there's a movie based on a true story, mm-hmm. like, oh, they left this out, you yeah. know? Um, to me, it's like, well, maybe that wasn't the story they were telling, and again, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I represent <laughs> the point of view of privilege here, so I don't know if I, but I, I feel like, Straight Outta Compton is so timely mm-hmm. in terms of uh, its um, uh, depiction of you know the where Gangstrap came from and, mm-hmm. and why it found an audience uh, with like police, police brutality and, and 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 that sort of marginalization and it's so timely and I think handles that so well yeah. that maybe adding the D Barnes incident which is apparently in the original screenplay for whatever that's worth oh really um, that's yeah. that someone came out and said yeah that was in the screenplay uh, we took it out yeah. um, <laughs> uh, um, like maybe including something like that would have uh, distracted from the story they were trying yeah. to tell um, I have a good colleague Robert Hamer who says like whenever he's watching any movie based off of the true story the first thing that he looks at it, like does it work dramatically Right. Like, yeah. does the story make sense? Does the plot make sense? And then the next is like, okay, what's the historical accuracy of it? Um, for Straight Outta Compton, like, it's it's a really, really good movie. Like, really solid. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's long. So I don't, like, I, I, I can't imagine putting the D-Barn situation in there just for, like, a time thing. Like, how, <laughs> how would that have worked? But then it's also, like, are we truly, like depicting these characters like is is it our goal to like root for them the whole way through or is it to understand sort of their lives during this time period because if it's the root for them angle then it's like okay i see why you cut it out but if it's to sort of explain the situation what they were going through it's like leaving out sort of a crucial that crucial part of his character is like it's it's warping history in a way um I don't know whether good or bad. Uh, yeah. I, but like, it's because like, Suge Knight comes off as terrible. Um, 
Yeah, I hear he's a real nice guy. In real yeah, life. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, I mean, he's terrible. In real Ironically, life. Um, so like they like they have no issue showing that they had no issue showing like Ice Cube going up into somebody's office and breaking everything with well, a bat. That's like a hero moment for him. That's yeah, not supposed to, um, not supposed to I mean, Easy sort of having HIV. Um, I don't know whether it was HIV or AIDS uh, at this point, uh, but like you, but dramatically that movie works just in general, but I totally understand the concept of being like, Hey, like you said, this was a movie about these people and like, this is not a full representation of who these people are. I've also heard, and I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard that the female characters who are in the movie are so poorly served that it's like, yeah. if they had come up with some sort of, you know, compensation to give the women something to do, yeah, maybe it would have gone down easier. I'm struggling to think of who all the women characters are. Right. Yeah, yeah there's, um, there's like Cube's like wife who's like, how's Friday coming along? Being yeah. Fighting Friday. <laughs> that was such a great moment. <laughs> I loved that. Um, he's literally sitting in the laptop typing <laughs> and saying out loud, you got knocked the fuck out. It's yeah, like, I'm that sure was, that's how that happened. Um, I loved that moment. Uh, but I, I mean, you said that it's it warps history. But I guess what I'm my point of view is it's sort of like when they remake a great movie and it turns out shitty. The mm-hmm. remake is shitty. It's like you still got RoboCop. Like yeah. Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop is still there, so it didn't ruin it. Yeah. And I kind of feel the same way about like, well, Straight Outta Compton is a fictionalization. Yes, like the history is still there. You can still do what mm-hmm. people did, which is raise the alarm and say, hey, uh, you know, Dr. Dre uh, did some pretty shitty things in addition yeah. to uh, the the music that he made that was good. Um, yeah, I think it, another... It still exists. So, and, yeah. and, 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 like, I think if we maybe understand that a... Even if it's a documentary about something is one slice of it, and it maybe is not... Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, you're not watching everything unfold in real time, even when you're watching a documentary. Everything's manipulated. Everything's, to use your word, warped a little bit. Maybe if we have that uh, sort yeah. of going in. It, it, but then again, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that the conversation about D. Barnes and other other people uh, that Dr. Dre uh, mistreated did come up. Yeah. At the same time, so I, I feel like I just uh, talked at cross purposes. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think a good example of this um, in sort of the opposite way is like The Social Network um, which is a phenomenal film um, of which Aaron Sorkin did a lot of fictionalizing particularly with Mark Zuckerberg um, because I mean during it was so interesting after seeing that movie and I love it and I love it still um, where Mark Zuckerberg was like yeah I had a girlfriend the whole time right and like the whole movie <laughs> is is predicated on the fact that like Rooney Mara's character dumps him, yeah, and like that he can't get a woman, and he's trying to like still get her back and friend her, and it's just like, oh, so like you you like created a whole different <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg than the actual one, and made him look pretty terrible, um, as well as a genius. I mean, he's like he, a smart businessman, and then Char- Sean Parker, who Justin Timberlake, who I love in that movie. Um, is like they made him look a little different than he actually is and so but is the movie weaker because we know more about the true story and it's not what was depicted on screen like I would rather I think I'd much rather have this version of Facebook than a cleaner sanitized version I don't know what that would look like Yeah, because but here we're talking about 
essentially the opposite thing from Stephen yeah. Compton. We're talking about taking uh, a very successful guy who may have been a decent guy and turning him into an asshole yeah. as opposed to turning uh, a monster yeah. into a saint. Yeah, and so it's like, but, I mean, to, like, a moviegoer, or, like, if you're Mark Zuckerberg's associate and, like, you know him and you go into that and you're like, what the hell? Like, that's not him at all. Or if you're just somebody who knows about everything Dr. Dre has done, you go in and you're like, what the hell? Like, that's not him at all. <laughs> um, so it's, it's sort of, it's sort of weird, but I, I do agree that like the movie has to work dramatically. Um, and you have to understand the character's motivations in the film and then sort of the historical context can come in around that. I think it also helped with the social network though, that Mark Zuckerberg wasn't a terribly public figure. Yeah. Certainly the way that Dr. Dre is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the audience could fill in, you know, some dramatic beats without it sort of contradicting a certain public image, I guess. Um, cause I mean, movies can shape the public's perception of history for sure. And it can take years to undo that. But I think in this, in the information age, yeah. um, you can get the context in something like straight out of Compton without it, like without the movie being the last word. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the last word, I feel like we, we've, uh, reached a good stopping point here. Yeah, sure. Did we did did we have a good time? I did. Did Best we time. did we solve the world's problems? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no one will no one will make a Matt Damon size mistake again. <laughs> done and Watch done. The day you post this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, gonna... there'll be something. Uh, so you uh, can find Battleship Pretension. Uh, I'm talking about the listeners, you guys. Uh, you can find Battleship Pretension at battleshippretension.com. Um, or possibly at another website. <laughs> uh, sorry, inside joke. Um, at battleshipretention.com, you can email uh, Tyler at Tyler, Tyler at battleshipretension.com, ask him what he thinks about all this stuff. Uh, you can email me at David at David at battleshipretention.com. Uh, Tyler's other podcasts are more than one lesson and worth playing for. My other podcast is called Hey, Watch This. It's about TV. This week we're talking about the premieres the with the series premiere of Quantico and the season two premiere of The Last Man on Earth uh, over at Hey, Watch This. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. So let's go uh, guest first. Terrence, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Um, I am on Twitter at Tour. That's L-E-N-O-I-R-A-U-T-E-U-R. He just got back from France. Yeah. He knows all I about that spell stuff. those words. Yeah, well, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, and LenoirAutour.com. Um, taking a little break from uh, some other things, uh, but you can find most of my other work at AwardCircuit.com. This is getting to be your time of the year here, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. It's really it's, like... It's starting. It's like, does, does it start with Toronto or does it start with Telluride now? It kind of starts with Venice. Okay. Really? Which okay. is like right before. Okay. So. so it's really like awards season, quote unquote, is really half the year. Yeah. Right? I, I like to pretend and like push it away until about the end of November. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> um, but you enjoy this stuff, right? I do. It's fun. Okay. Um, well, uh, thanks for being here. Scott, where we will find you and your work on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at rail of tomorrow. That's R a I L of tomorrow. Uh, I'm on battleshipretention.com, Of course, where I'm just started a series on the films of Eric Romare. We'll hopefully be posting a new entry in that tomorrow. Well, I, when you're listening to this, it should be already be up. Guess what I'm getting at. Right. And then I'm also at CriterionCast.com. We just recorded an episode on the importance of being earnest and I'm reviewing discs over there as well. Well, uh, thanks to both of you for, for uh, coming over and doing this. It's fun. Yeah. And thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.